0: Welcome to the Prize of Possibility podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Mitch Ablett. I have a strong belief that the greatest prizes in life are hidden in plain sight. They are the nuances, the nooks and crannies of everyday moments that are easily missed. Join me in these conversations with authors and influencers and researchers to miss fewer of them to truly claim these prizes. All right. Welcome, everyone, to the next episode of the Prize of Possibility. I'm very excited to have my next guest with me, Amanda Gilbert, hailing all the way from California, uh, where I have not been in some time. Hope to get back there soon. And uh, let me say a little bit about who you are, Amanda, before we we start chatting. Uh, Amanda is a meditation teacher. She was trained um, as a mindfulness facilitator at UCLA's Mindful Awareness Research Center, and uh, through her association with Insight LA, and she's a speaker, has spoken uh, you know, many places around the country, I think around the world as well. She's, she's quite uh, in, in demand as a speaker around things mindfulness and meditation, and she's the author of a very cool book uh, out by Shambhala Publications, Kindness Now, And uh, we're certainly going to talk about the book a bit, but I think we're going to end up, we were just talking before I hit record about how the best podcast conversations go and that they, uh, you know, and she was one of the first people to ever ask me, like, you know, is it okay if I ask you questions? I'm like, yes, you know, that's, that's awesome. Um, But the, the best experiences I've had doing this podcast gig thing is when it's like jazz, and we just kind of riff back and forth with each other. So that's what we're going to aim for uh, for folks here. But welcome, Amanda. It's very nice to finally almost meet you over Zoom space.
1: Mitch, thank you so much for having me. And I am delighted to be in conversation with you right now and to be a guest on your beautiful podcast.
0: Well, thank you so much. So, so I'll I'll start us off with something and and then hopefully we'll just let go of me interviewing and we'll just chat. So, you know, what is your I think most people are going to think this is kind of a silly question, but you did write an entire book about it. What what is kindness to you? Like how how do you define it? It's like one of those words that people are like, oh yeah, yeah, I know what kindness is. But I, I think it's important to maybe pause and be like, well, what is it? What how would you how would you define it? What is it to you?
1: I love that we are starting here, Mitch, because what I have found out over the course of writing kindness now and then, especially as it was getting ready to be released and published out in the world, is that not everyone's opinion, definition or perception about kindness is the same. And I first learned this by actually meeting with um, a creative who was going to help me put together a website or a landing page um, about kindness. Now, this was really early on. I had just handed in the final manuscript and we were in our first dialogue and they um, actually started to offer their, their views on what kindness could mean visually or how it could be tr- portrayed visually. Hmm. And some of the ideas were along the lines of like clouds and rainbows and oh, wow. just these really kind of soft and fluffy visual Im- images. And it was in that moment that I really, really clearly learned that there is a more, potentially a more public perception about kindness, that kindness is viewed as something passive or nice or something really fluffy and pushed over and whatnot. And I realized in that moment that my relationship to kindness was much different than that because The way I formed the definition of kindness, especially for kindness now, was through the lens of my meditation practice, Mm. and I don't know about you, Mitch, but what I have found in the course of my own practice path is that kindness, and especially loving kindness or metta uh, meditation, the Pali word for loving kindness, um, requires at times such strength and resilience, and intention, and clarity. And so the way I've related to kindness is actually from that place of, it requires so much of us at times. And it can also make us really uncomfortable to stretch us into that place of offering kindness, especially in the the face of adversity, or harm, or pain, or heartbreak. And so the way I like to break down kindness, especially in the introduction of kindness now, is thinking of kindness through the lens of kindness itself, offering basic goodness, um, basic generosity to ourselves and to others, but also through the facets of friendliness and love. Mm-hmm. So I like to think of kindness in those three ways: kindness, friendliness, and love.
0: I, I really like that. I like how there are all these components to it that you're describing, and I'll say what I really love and. I'm I'm gonna preface this because I work really hard in my podcast not to swear, and, <laughs> mm-hmm. and which is if you, you come to know me better that's not a, that's not an easy task. Um, but there's something that you said that um, mm. is this in me uh, that you know people tend to view things like kindness um, or compassion mm-hmm. as passive or even weak right? That it's like this soft, fluffy, cloud-like thing. I tend to view kindness that way, and it it takes a certain amount of uh, being a compassionate badass to really show up to it. You know, it is not something that's always easy to show up to, and can take guts. It can take courage to show up to to kindness, in my experience. So there's something, I, I love that you started with that, that um, you know, that there's, there's more to it than meets the eye.
1: Mm, completely. And, you know, and I'm sure we'll, we'll get into this a little bit more deeply, but to respond with kindness and compassion, like you were just saying, Mitch, actually really also requires us to be aware or to be mindful of how it is we normally react to certain situations because Kindness and compassion, especially as we're building our own practice around responding through kindness or or compassion, um, it can be it can be very very illuminating in the way that we often respond with with our habitual knee jerk reactions. Yes. We often want to judge. We often want to view people as separate from us. We often want to respond from self protection or fear. And yeah. kindness and compassion ask us to do the exact opposite of yes. how we may be usually responding or reacting.
0: Right, right. No, it, it's a uh, you know, I, I would be really interested to hear what you know what you think as to the main obstacles that you've experienced like, mm-hmm. to kindness. Cause I, you know, this is something that tends not to be talked enough about in our kind of mindfulness space you know, the, you know, what is it that, you know, those of us that, you know, offer practices or write about this, what have we experienced that can get in the way of showing up to the positive things that we're writing about, like awareness or compassion or kindness, Mm -hmm. you know, and I'll, I'll definitely offer my own thoughts for myself, you know, that, you know, that there are times where, like, I, I just had an episode, uh, I think it was yesterday, I went to get an iced coffee, and there was somebody that was kind of rude to the, to the staff there, and I noticed myself as I was walking out, and I could see that he was going to be walking out behind me. Usually, I'm really good about holding the door for people. I didn't, and I just kind of let it close, so he'd have to open it himself, and, and I did that with some degree or a lot of degree of intention. So it was a very unkind thing to do. And, you know, looking back on it, you know, part of me was, I'm lost in my thinking, like this guy's a jerk and deserves to have to open the door himself, does not deserve kindness, Some, something like that mm-hmm. passed through my head. But, you know, which, you know, I think most of us have moments like that. But what, what would you say to that? Like obstacles to kindness,
1: I think that's such a relatable story and experience you just shared because what comes to mind, even on the heels of of hearing that is an obstacle to kindness can be our own anger or the awareness of injustice happening towards us or in a space around us because it challenges, you know, it challenges us in a way where we may forget the idea or the principle that we are all deserving of fundamental kindness and compassion, ourselves and others. And especially through the framework of classic or traditional loving kindness meditation or the Brahma Vihara practice um, through through Buddhism, is that there's a stepwise systematic training that we can really approach learning how to offer our kindness or compassion in any given situation towards ourselves, towards others, or towards the world and all beings at large. And one of these classic categories is our difficult people, Um, which when you were just describing that moment, that very, very relatable moment, I find that when we go through a systematic way of learning or engaging with, with kindness or compassion, when we've worked with difficult people or people who have annoyed us before in our lives in a formal way on the cushion, then in real life moments like that, sometimes, sometimes, not all the time,
0: sometimes, but sometimes (laughs) we can catch,
1: we can catch ourselves and say, what would it be like to open my heart or to remain um, in equanimity in this situation? And for me, what, what blocks me or what provides opportunities to move through obstacles with kindness are those difficult emotions—anger, judgment—and really also um, fear? You know, I, I've really come to think of loving kindness or metta as an antidote to fear, especially mm. as modern meditators. And if we we pause and unpack unpack what fear may mean and look like for us as present time human beings, you know, yeah. fear fear can be us thinking that we are going to be um, taken advantage of in some way or seen as weak or passive. Um, fear yes. can mean uh, a, lot of, a lot of like self-doubt too. Like we don't really trust our responses or trust our feelings or trust our emotions at times. Yes. So sometimes when we think of loving kindness as an antidote to fear or even compassion as an antidote to, to judgment, self-judgment and judgment towards others, when it's coming up in the moment, and from my own experience too, when it's coming up in the moment and I start to feel fear or anxiety in my body, that's when I actually know to to perhaps ask myself to choose loving kindness or to choose to respond in compassion instead.
0: Yeah, that there's a, uh, the way I like to describe what I, I think you're describing is that because there's been enough practice there's a bit of, um, there's a bit of air around the reactivity. There's a bit of, uh, space Mm. and that you've hung out enough with those, those little nooks and crannies of reactivity. It's like, uh, my, I I like, I like, uh, visceral description, like, uh, uh, the pop rocks candy on your tongue, right? Mm. It Pops and fizzes. It can feel like that when you're having an emotion that's, you know, it's popping and fizzing, and but if you spend enough time uh, watching it and bringing awareness to it, bringing mindfulness yeah. to it, then you have the space to sometimes ask that question that you you, know, you put out there. you know, is this a time where kindness would fit versus mm-hmm. just like leaping in with that unkind or reactive uh, behavior? So I like that, I like that.
1: I love that you just brought that in, Mitch, because I'm curious too for you in the course of your practice and, and training as well is has awareness for you, even your way of relating to your to the capacity to be aware or that moment of spaciousness like you were just describing. Do you feel like there's an opportunity to actually bring warmth to that space or bring the heart or to bring kindness or compassion, even within that moment of awareness and that space you were just describing?
0: Yeah, no, that's, a, that's a great question. I think it's a, uh, a question for all of us. You know, Is it yeah. possible to bring warmth, particularly with someone that we want to bring an edge Mm-hmm. you know, where the the knee jerk is, you know, an angry, you know, pushback. Um, so to go beyond just not reacting and allowing space to actually allowing warmth.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And, um, you know, I think it is, I think it takes a boatload of practice. And at, at least it has for me, you know, that uh, there, there's something I like to refer to as the ablet anger, <laughs> you know, that, that, that is uh, many generations old, particularly in the men in my family where, you know, very nice, very, you know, but then there's a, there can be a, a big emotional response, an angry response. So I've had to really work with that as a meditator mm. to allow that warmth to, um, uh, you know, compost. Mm-hmm. into something, um, warm, but not hot. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and I think there's, yeah, I think that's an important question. Can we actually have a warm heart space for people that at first we want to, you know, punch them in the face? Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. I think that's so powerful because, um, when you were just describing, letting the anger be warm versus hot, it reminds me that the four heart practices of mindfulness meditation or the Brahma Viharas of Buddhism, in my experience and in my study of them, I find that they make our really edgy emotions or those edgy belief systems that we have about ourselves or even our current conditioning around fear or judgment or separation, they make that terrain so much more workable and yeah. approachable and, and it's a big it's a big leap. It's a big step to make to um, understand that the anger, for example, like you like you were just sharing, can come in really hot and there's so much behind that like all the generation you know of all the generations of having that sort of traits there and present in, in your family lineage. And then to understand that, well, through practice and especially through perhaps that spaciousness, that that kind spaciousness, that compassionate understanding spaciousness that I've created from my time in studying on the cushion, that actually cools the anger down enough to make it warm or maybe like room temp or or lukewarm. (laughs) And therefore, it's workable and approachable. And we can invite in all of this choice. I think that's so powerful and beautiful, Mitch. And you know, I, I, I'm unsure of what your thoughts are on this particular principle. That was for me when I first learned this. Um, it was really illuminated around the same topic of chitta consciousness or chitta yeah. awareness. Yeah. And this translates as heart-minded consciousness or heart-mind consciousness yeah. from from Buddhism. And when I first learned this principle, it really, really impacted me because I realized that if I really paid attention closely to how it was, I was bringing my mindfulness or my awareness to any given moment in my life. Yeah. If I paid attention closely, honestly, there was there was a level of warmth or kindness just just baked in there, baked into mm. that spaciousness, um, and. To, to start to view my mindfulness practice, even my my practice of present moment, attention, moment to moment, in my life, as an opportunity to invite in consciously these qualities of the heart, like kindness. And as um, you know some of our dear mentors or friends or colleagues, Jack Cornfield and Trudy Goodman often refer to mindfulness as loving awareness. Yeah, pointing at the same thing. I find that when, when I've related to my own practice in that way, then that's actually helped bring forth that quality of warmth and that quality of workability through, through the heart-minded approach to my yes. practice.
0: Yeah. No, I, I think this is really good. And I, I think we're already doing some jazz because you're asking <laughs> me some, some stuff here and, and it's not anything that I had notes on. So that I, this is good. Mm. This is good. But what, you know, I am super intrigued by the fact that we are both talking about anger and kindness
1: mm-hmm.
0: and that how we relate to the, I, I would say both might actually create a sweet spot. And and I'm, I'm a little biased here again, because I, I have a history um, around, you know, significant, you know. I'm well acquainted with angry states and I'm one of the people in the mindfulness world that um, I think there aren't that many of us that would say that there is a role for anger and it isn't, I think this is misunderstood and I think there are many more people that would agree with me than, you know, than people might assume. Um, I think a, a misnomer around Buddhist psychology, you know, is that, Anger is always bad. It's a poison of the mind. You know, yeah, it doesn't take much for it to become toxic. And yet, I think we're talking about what is that sweet spot that there, you know, you know, I just have to say that my experience as a psychologist, I've worked with really intense populations over, you know twenty some years. And there's no way to show up to, pure puffy cloud kindness, the way most people misunderstand kindness to be, and not have an element of an edge or a a push behind it emotionally that can feel like anger. But I I think there's a sweet spot, and I've seen over and over again, uh, where like working with the adolescent kids that I've worked with, residential settings, treatment settings, if you, if you don't show up with a bit of intensity, then their narrative, their conditioning will not view you as someone that they should show up to. They won't trust your yeses or your noes is the way I like to put it. So I, I think there's a way in which it can be very kind to show up with a kind of a compassionate warriorship.
1: Oof. I am just really drinking this in and um, I'm also just having a moment of like absolutely yes and I love what you just landed on that compassionate warriorship and I'm speaking a little out of my own field of experience here but what comes to mind too is a lot of Um, teachers in the varying Buddhist traditions sometimes invoke what um, they call crazy wisdom, you know, that that sort of like wisdom response that comes with that bite, that edge, and that uh, that illuminating factor at times where it can be a little like alarming, or it can be very, very confronting for the practitioner. And just to echo what you're bringing in around anger in particular, I think, especially in present time, if we can, um, I think culturally also invite in a different narrative around anger because anger to me too, Mitch, has so much intelligence to it.
0: Mm. And
1: I feel like even, even in present time for me, I've been understanding that anger can actually be quite healthy. It can be a very, very healthy response Because when we are in a place of anger and we're actually in tune with the reasoning or the intelligence behind it, but we're also in our state of equanimity, right? And this is really Mm -hmm. where our mindfulness and our heart practices are so intertwined when we get down to the nuance of it. If we can even view our anger the response of anger from a place of equanimity and mindfulness, Um, I actually find so much clarifying like energy and anger even this past week I I learned something you know um, just that was uh, not something that I expected from a certain uh, uh, communication or or, um, relationship and there was a moment of just like wait a minute this isn't mapping on to like all the prior like history in this conversation in this conversation and I actually felt felt anger come on, but within that same moment, like everything just became clear. It was almost like any Mm. confusion or delusion I had or a mental perception I had about what this conversation was or what this potential connection, friendship, relationship, colleagueship was. Um, It all just kind of what, that all melted away and the anger, that healthy equanimous anger actually let me see the situation clearly for what it yes. really was and then act appropriately and it was so much better
0: <laughs> I, I, this, yeah. it is it is truly rare to have this conversation and i think this is super important for people um that were anticipating something else around kindness and there are other aspects of this for sure um and yet this is this is not common there there is indeed in my experience a sweet spot you know, you know, where you, I I like that you're bringing in equanimity, this kind of spacious, non-judging, good, bad, who knows, it just is awareness. But yet there's a, there's an angry, like, no, because of the amount of uh, unnecessary suffering that these conditions are bringing that there's a way to show up to that, you know, you're not trying to control what happens next, that's the equanimity, but you're saying, no, and you're bringing so much energy to that, that I think it does something in the other person's nervous system, it says, wake up, look at this, and I've seen that over and over again as a therapist, you know, I I call it the compassionate dope slap, and... (laughs) And, and i think that's a real thing and it, and it's you know it's so easy in the meditation mindfulness space for this conversation to you know not be had and i think you know many that could have really galvanized to meditation practice to mindfulness miss it because they think that it won't address what we're talking about
1: mm. I completely agree with that. And, you know, it's been so humbling and also illuminating just how much practice or our mindfulness and compassion practices, just how much it really can include. Like I have tested this tried and true Mitch over the years. Like I I consider myself a a healthy skeptic when it comes to to meditation especially at the beginning i i care deeply about the science i care deeply about having a level of discernment or really the approach of taking any teachings or principles, practices, or techniques in and doing my own inner excavation around them, my own inner investigation as well. Is this true? Do these practices and principles and teachings that I'm taking in and hearing and working with and trying to embody the best that I can, um, are are these landing as honest and authentic and true in the field of my own mind, body, heart, And I share this a lot with my students and my communities and my audiences that um, I I am humbled to say at this point in time that I keep bumping into the honest answer and response of yes, 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 that our practice really can meet us in any given way, um, even if it's not immediate even if it's not absolutely immediate. And also, of course, with the lens of sometimes we need different modalities to to support us being in meditation and um, working with the intricacies of our mind and our emotional field. But in my own experience, it's been really awe striking to understand that, you know, meditation has my back.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I like that. That's the quote. That's the quote for meditation has my back. I like that. Yeah. I like that. You know, one, one thing I want to ask about, and before we run low on time, is mm. how much you feel, you know, gratitude, you know, cultivating gratitude is a key aspect to being able to more likely show up to kind action. Mm. You know, and I'll say this really quick, you know, I've heard for years now about the research around gratitude. And, you know, the people are increasingly saying and the studies are saying this is a healthy thing to do. And then in my own attempts to show up to gratitude practice, and therefore I think kindness and compassion related practices, it's at times felt very stale and like it, I couldn't fully engage it. And what I've arrived at through my own kind of contemplation and practice is that at least in my conditioning, um there may be this sense of like, well, there's certain ways that I didn't feel seen and appreciated, and so it's hard for me to show up to gratitude. It just doesn't come naturally. It's not that it never arrives, but I can't sit and do a practice and it's right there and and so i I, I wonder about that since and since you're a a kindness expert now. <laughs> Yeah, and you're you're shaking your head no. But uh and I'm I'm joking. I mean, you're you know what I'm saying. I'm joking. Absolutely. But but, uh but what would you say to that? Like gratitude, Mm. kindness, you know, the relationship there.
1: I find that each of us individually will always have what I like to call our practice edges, and it shows up in in such an individual and unique way for each and every practitioner or spiritual seeker or meditator, as in sometimes our practice edges are more towards this. the self as in offering self-kindness or self-compassion towards our own thinking mind or our own uh, life experience. Sometimes our practice edges are actually around um, choosing to respond in a way that does um, ask for more equanimity and even for more insight around like how can my response be of benefit towards myself and towards others that are in this same sort of circumstance or condition with me and around gratitude you know um i feel like so i've heard this i've heard this before in the sense of sometimes we can feel really far away from feeling genuine appreciation for anything and everything in our, in our lives. And when I hear that, I say, okay, this is just where the practice edge is. And to not judge that as, as bad or less than or um, inferior than where we are experiencing some sort of flow or or natural organic um, experience in our practice and this, uh, this really, I think goes well to what we were just saying that really this, uh, for me, the center of our mindfulness and heart practice is can I actually include every single piece and part of myself or the world around me in the field of my practice? Can I approach my practice as a, as a act of radical inclusion? And mm. so with gratitude, you know, gratitude for me, has uh, required a lot of intentionality at times. Mm -hmm. And I love the teachings around um, finding that through our mindfulness practice, we can always perhaps touch into a facet or a quality of gratitude, like present moment, contentment or appreciation, or the acknowledgement of something good or or beautiful, you know, even even around us. and I like to think of gratitude and actually how I share about it in, in the book specifically is that when we can be intentional with our gratitude practice and even, and I've, I've actually learned this again, tried and true in, in a really, really direct way where the times that I've felt like I've really more deeply understood gratitude been in times when i've just had like tears like rolling down my face there's i'm in a real extreme moment of difficulty or sadness or just life as i know it things aren't going going my way and all of a sudden a sound or a chirp of a hummingbird reaches my ears and i experience that that chirping and that song of the hummingbird is something like healing and something pleasant or something that isn't that direct sorrow or sadness. And I find appreciation for that moment of recognition, like, okay, I'm hearing this beautiful hummingbird. All of a sudden I look out the window, I'm seeing the, the rays of the sun hitting these beautiful leaves around me. Okay. You know, even though things aren't okay, I'm okay. (laughs) In some capacity. So, um, you know, I find that, thinking of gratitude as, as, or having our mindfulness practice be an access point to gratitude, and then perhaps letting our gratitude practice be a direct lifeline to genuine happiness or, Mm -hmm. or joy, or at least a step in that direction. Um, I, I, I feel like gratitude is almost a cornerstone of so many of these heart and, and mind Um, practices
0: I I like that I like the specificity of you know having a bad day something isn't going your way and that kind of like you were saying before around having spent the time on the cushion you know that there's that question you can ask yourself like what else is here other Mm -hmm. than this you know part of my day that's not going the way I had expected it to oh there's the sound of this bird and there's the the way the, the light is shafting, you know, at an angle toward me right now. And then, you know, you know, just whatever, and then gratitude can show up because you're connecting with things other than what the mind was saying was bad.
1: Mm. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah,
0: yeah that, that's cool. That's cool. I, I think, I think uh, being able to see practice as trying to get as much onto the you know i'm thinking like a chess board let's get it all on the board every every piece of your life on the board inside and out and the practice is trying to you know hold all of it and realize you can
1: Mm, i love that so much mitch um one of my favorite instructions that i've ever heard around this uh comes from my mentor and our colleague diana winston the Mm -hmm. head of um the Mindful Awareness Research Center at UCLA. And she often shares this this instruction around inviting us as practitioners to trust and to remember that both we and our meditation practices are stronger than Mm. we may think. Mm. And when I've heard that over the years from her, I find that that leads me to a place of like real radical trust and confidence and faith in the process and the principles of meditation. Um, And it's been in that that trust and that development of faith in the practice that even when things feel awkward, even when gratitude feels far away, even when practicing metta towards myself, may I be happy, may I be healthy, may may I live with ease, when that feels awkward and clunky and even far away, that to take a step back, in that remembrance, okay, you know, I have a lot of trust in this practice. It's showing up for me over and over again, even if it's not immediately in that moment, but to remember that the field of our practice, the loving awareness, the compassionate heart, our compassionate minds are stronger. And more yeah. inclusive than we think. So I love that image of the chessboard. Like I too, which I'm going to put all. I'm not a chess player, so I have no idea what. what I'm not either. I just like this. the metaphor.
0: I, I love it. I'm
1: like, yeah. Let me put all of my pieces on the chessboard too. Let's let's yeah. do this. Let's play.
0: Yeah, and then though what's really cool to go go very co on here, you know, is that it's really not about the pieces. It's the space in between. Ooh. Yeah. <laughs> but. uh you know, I, I, I have to say, you know, I, another thing around practice, and I was just, and this came to mind because I was recording this earlier today for some stuff I'm putting together, you know, for years now, I've used my own little acronym. I love acronyms. Mm-hmm. So we'll see what you think about this. This is my kind of my uh, meta, uh, you know, acronym that I've used. Um, and I have no idea uh, when I came up, it doesn't matter. So it's shedding your ego, S-H-E-D. You know, shed your ego and add compassion. So may I be safe, may I be happy and healthy, may I know ease, Hmm. and may I do what fits, may I do what matters most. Hmm. And then just Hmm. cycle through that.
1: Uh, That's landing so beautifully because I feel like especially in present time and modern times, our practice is to meet the moment as clearly and with as much right action or wise action as as possible. And I feel like that is where we are moving um, in as modern day meditators where, uh, you know, and I wanna say this as as respectfully and almost like as as mindfully as possible, um, but to realize that, you know, perhaps just having the practice be about ourselves, you know, just having our practice be self oriented, um, as it's been viewed, I think, over the last few decades, especially especially here in the West, yeah. um, isn't quite enough anymore. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, if anything, like one of the, re- one of the reasons why I, I wrote the book Kindness Now and centered it upon the, the Brahma Viharas of loving kindness, compassion, appreciative joy, and equanimity is because of this call that i was seeing around modern meditation of let's bring the heart let's bring this the chitta consciousness let's bring the the value system of the heart back into the modern day conversation with mindfulness yes. meditation and further i feel like even around around compassionate response and wise action i feel like we're even moving you know a step further with that with making sure that altruism and um, and benevolence and that real bodhisattva activity—that's also yes. at the forefront of our, yes. of our conversation and practice as modern day meditators. Yes. What do, what do you think, Mitch?
0: I, I I totally think, and this is where I come back to, you know, the swear word I use. There's a role for being a compassionate badass in the world, hmm. and I think it means showing up to the warmth, you know, and showing up to a awareness of one's own pain points and a willingness to work with them and and simultaneously showing up to what is behind the behavior of others. There's the, what we perceive on the surface and there's, you know, that separates us seemingly that we're seeing over and over again uh, these days. And then, if we can show up to the pain points in ourselves, our common humanity and then get curious courageously curious compassionate dope slappingly curious as to what might be behind the angry edge for another you know what is their truth you know i think i think there's there's a huge role for people that have practiced enough that they can stay in those tough interactions and we need practitioners we need meditators who understand the bravery that is required in personal practice and in other practice mm. so. hey i you know much. you have to go i have to go <laughs> as well we can keep talking for a while i could tell but uh where where can people find your book where can they find out more about you and the things that you're up to
1: Well, thank you so much for um, this time and space here in conversation, Mitch. And uh, I'm delighted to share that Kindness Now, a 28-day guide to living with authenticity, intention, and compassion is available at any major bookseller from Amazon to Barnes & Noble. And it's also available at many indie bookstores um, as well. So please also check in with Anywhere you love to buy your books and you can connect with me across all of the social channels at Amanda Gilbert Meditation or on my website amandagilbertmeditation.com.
0: Awesome. Thank you so much for joining me Amanda.
1: Thank you much for having me. All right.
0: Thank you for joining me for today's episode of the Prize of Possibility. I hope you found things of benefit here. If so, please consider giving this show a positive review. Such feedback is not only great to hear, um, it also really helps elevate the show so that others can find benefit from it. Please stay tuned. More episodes some great guests on the way so that we can together discover these true life prizes in daily life. Take care.